It didn't really bother me because growing up in New York City, we had a lot of mice. And my father, and particularly my mother, like completely anthropomorphized the mice and like thought that it was like this little Beatrix Potter wonderland in our kitchen. And um, the water bugs did not get the same treatment. They were a little scary. For those of you who do not grow up in New York City, there are water bugs the size of small dogs in our apartments. Anyway, by my teenage years, my mother was leaving like cheese out for the mice on beautiful ceramic plates like thoughtfully matching Kaspari napkins. It got a little ridiculous. So anyway, back to the beach house. The mice did not phase me until the arrival of this odor of death. You have found the place to be. This is the Self-Love Peddler Show. I'm Sophie McCallum, your personal self-love peddler. Please leave the single narrative, airbrushed, beauty bot images you have been forced fed at the door. Here we examine our relationship with our bodies and the many shapes and nuances our bodies have. The only way to end women's cycle of body shaming, judgment, and self-loathing is through a common pact and plan to change the way we collectively think about our bodies and the bodies of those around us. Welcome to the journey. So I want to dig into why consistency is so challenging. Like, why do so many of us struggle to continue and repeat behavior in the long term that we're clearly profiting from, right? We have all been there where we have like this momentum and we're really into something and we're doing really well and then it ends. And sometimes it's really easy to identify why something ends. I have our best friends come from Puerto Rico to visit us all the time. And like when they come, it's just like caviar and champagne for them and like just fun, fun, fun. And I always know when they come, it's going to take me like a week to recover because I totally love being with them. And I love just enjoying New York and enjoying laughter and enjoying friends. So that's like an obvious reason why sometimes my momentum ends. It's my Puerto Rican family. But also sometimes just life, you're in a routine and for whatever reason that you drop it or it gets dropped, something gets in the way. It's easy to see why you want to do something and be like, yes, I'm going to keep doing X because it's going to get me to that goal and then to make a plan. But we're more complex than that as beings. So like things happen, life happens, right? But talking and reflecting like as we've discussed in previous podcasts with the mirror work, reflecting and taking a good hard look at this stuff really strengthens not only our relationship with ourselves and our relationships with our bodies and our souls and our insides and our energy, but it's also going to strengthen our connection and relationship to results. So for years, challenging behavior that I benefited from had like a very obvious shelf life. And what a lot of people say when behavior ends, they'll say, well, I'm guilty of X. Like they blame themselves, right? But unfortunately, while blaming yourself may seem like a short-term solution, like I used to meal prep for the week and I am guilty of blank. It's my fault. But when you're just blaming yourself, you're sort of taking accountability, but you're not solution-oriented at all. Like instead of Instead of saying, I'm guilty of something, like, well, this happened, and so I redirected to this behavior, but now how can we circle back, right? Instead of just like, ah, oh, it's my fault. My husband always says that. He's an entrepreneur, and when he's with his employees, I hear him talking and saying, look, we're all going to make mistakes, and that's fine. There's never any blame. There's just solutions. You raise your hand. You say, I screwed up. I need help. And so saying you're guilty of XYZ behavior is, again, just that like self-centered accountability but without solution, which is really not very helpful. 
Um, so blame is not a positive action. And, you know, what we're all trying to accomplish is different for all. And some things are easier for some people and than they are for others. Like eating a healthy diet for me is extremely simple because I like healthy food. You know, running, which I also love doing, for some reason is very hard for me to do. It's hard for me to motivate and do that. Hello, wonderful, worthy, self-loving women. I'm thrilled to introduce you to my newest course, Mastering Your Love Centers Through Conscious, Compassionate Self-Love. There's a gold medal in you waiting for you. Are you ready to accept it? This course is all about the ever-evolving process of self-love and self-discovery. If fully embraced, just like self-love, it is endless and can deliver boundless results. Through this course, you will find yourself living fully as your greatest you. In Flourish and Fly, my introductory course, we talk about learning to love ourselves. We learn to see that we are worth the gold. Here we take action. We grab the gold medal. Remember, you may achieve a silver trying to be someone else, but only you have the right to your gold, to your unique glory. Join me inside of Mastering Your Love Centers Through Conscious, Compassionate Self-Love and grab your gold. It's already yours for the taking. Are you ready to take it? Join me. Your time is now. So examining what you like to do and what you naturally do instinctively and without push and without reminder is also a really good act of reflection because you can see and use those skills and put them towards something that's a little harder for you to do. Do what you like rather than what you're disciplined in. And then the things that you must do and identify discipline in, use those tools that you've used for what you like. Like I was not a wonderful student. I got by, but I just really didn't like sitting in a classroom and just sitting there. Like I, I really, even to this day, I, was, I worked in real estate for many years. And when I had to do my continuing education, it was just painful until I discovered the online classes that were self-paced. And I, I did really well. And I really gathered and learned information and enjoyed it. When I did my coaching certification, I did it over Zoom. And it was a wonderful experience for me. I actually put it off for a long time because it wasn't in person. And I'm so glad that I did that I eventually was just like, fine, I'll do it on the computer. Because we connected. It was great. It was actually a better format for me. So again, looking at what you like and why and applying that to other things in your life that are more challenging. Because we return to patterns that are safe, right? And so like if something's hard for us, it's no longer safe because it's making us uncomfortable. But those patterns often are limiting. They're sometimes not very healthy. Like it's very safe and easy to like watch TV or scroll on your phone. And those safe places are pretty limiting. Um, and often, interestingly enough, those limiting safe places are also are often creating a greater divide in your connection to yourself. So we limit ourselves when we only show up to a point and stay safe. And the more you can get outside of that safe space, the easier it becomes. So like that initial push of trying new things or trying to bring that sort of enthusiastic energy to the parts of your life where it doesn't come naturally, the more you do that, the easier it will become. And it will eventually morph into things that are easy, right? And for me, I often say that opportunity is my greatest and our greatest opportunities are found in our hardest places. And for me, I was very lucky in that I had like one very big obvious block, which was alcohol. And so when you have a really, really big block, for me, a big disease, in that was where big opportunity came. But we all have blocks of some kind, right? And 
Enhancing the relationship with yourself allows you to have a dialogue around these blocks. And the ways you can do that are a lot of things we've discussed, journaling, meditating. For some, like intense physical exercise is a form of meditation. Having a mentor, a weekly date with a friend where you guys just talk and listen, a coach, a counselor, bringing things into your life in a way that fits your schedule or adjusting your schedule to bring this mindfulness into your life so that you can start having a dialogue around your relationship with yourself, what's hard, where the blocks are, and then where those opportunities are, right? Not just the accountability, not just finding the blocks, but coupling it with the solution. So when we don't access those tools, journaling, et cetera, that I just listed, we tend to run on will and willpower. And I know I thought for many, many years that willpower was a wonderfully positive force. But I've come to see it more as like a forced emotion that comes in super hot, right, and super exciting, but then just ends. Like running your life on willpower is, you know, like having a really healthy breakfast and then hoping it will sustain you all week and not having to eat anything else. It's filling your car up in New York and thinking you're going to be able to drive to California on that one tank of gas. Like willpower has a shelf life. So that's why a lot of us get sort of understandably, and this is where we have to really reflect and give ourselves some like empathy and space. Like when we see programs on television, be it diet, exercise, all of that stuff, they show us these like end results. As we've said before in this podcast, results are not typical, but they put that in the tiniest writing and they put these like amazing results in your face. So we're, our will like latches on to that end results, right? And we see like, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. And we convince ourselves that it's going to happen, right? And we commit to following through with these new endeavors. But in the end, we're, we're really just, looking at that end result. And in between, we're not focusing on the necessary momentum and the solutions that you need to get to that result. And let's remember that result is not typical. It's probably not even an option for most of us. So this willpower has a shelf life. And when you start to throw in all of these other things that are necessary to get to our goal, and then we just use will, will and the power of distraction by these untypical end results, that shelf life makes itself very clear and very suddenly. And we are often ill-equipped to see it coming or to pivot and get ourselves in a position to deal with it in a healthy manner. So you're not alone in having these things that work really well for you all of a sudden run out. So willpower has a shelf life. So this brings me to a story I like. At Christmas every year, my grandmother, my mother's stepmother, sends me and my family a wreath, a Christmas wreath for the door, a gingerbread house kit, and a wheel of brie cheese. Like they, they arrive in no particular order, and sometimes they have a note, sometimes they don't, but they come every year. I know they're from her. It's, it's really sweet. It's something my grandfather always did, and she, after he passed away, she has continued the tradition, and I'm very thankful. So one year, we were spending Christmas out at our beach house, and um package arrived from my grandmother from the place, and it 
It was a gingerbread house. So I brought it out to Long Island and it was like early in the season. So I like kind of haphazardly threw it in the top shelf of our cupboard just so the kids wouldn't like attack it and eat all of our construction materials before we had broken ground on like our gun drop landscapes and Necco wafer roofs. There, It's a little light, this kit on candy. So like I didn't want them to just devour it all. So catapult yourself, if you will, to spring of that same year. And I'm sitting in my kitchen and I start to smell something. And I start to smell like all what it can be described as like the odor of death. It has fallen on our kitchen. Like it was horrifying, but it was kind of coming and going. It hadn't really taken over. So our beach house was built in 1959 and had a brief owner and then an owner that lived there, a family, for like 50 years. So like when we bought the house, the original dishwasher was there. It was a GE dishwasher. And at the time, my brother was uh, – he's in PR. So at the time, my brother was the advertising representative for GE because he worked in advertising. And he was amazed at this dishwasher because it's it was the model, like model zero – <laughs> it's the first dishwasher ever known to man. And when I tried to get, like, move the dishwasher, because it hadn't worked, like, in many, many, many years. So when I tried to move the dishwasher, it, it sort of started, I started to think that, like, perhaps it was the first thing put on the foundation. And then the house was just, like, attached to the dishwasher and welded to it and built around it because that thing was not moving. So I got really tired of trying to move it. So my kids were all little at the time. So I gave them like hammers and screwdrivers. <laughs> and I was like, have at it. Maybe you guys can get it out from under the cabinets. And they had so much fun beating the shit out of this old dishwasher. But it didn't move. And eventually I had to call a professional. But I did keep all of the knobs that they whacked off because they were just so beautiful, these knobs. So I, I don't know, maybe I'll make dishwasher necklace someday. But so it wasn't that this house was maintained badly. It just sort of aged with the inhabitants, right? They did what they could. They probably didn't really need a dishwasher as they got older. And so the north wall of our kitchen was, and I'm very clearly saying was, because if I ever sell this house, I would like potential buyers to know that we fixed this. But the northern wall of our house was kind of like a pair of stockings. Uh, the one night a year, I talked myself into trying to wear them. It was, it's, it was like you know, gaping full of holes and pretty drafty. And so in the winter, our cupboards became like a hot spot for the mice. They were just kind of there all the time. And there wasn't too much we could do about it because of the state of the entire back wall. So, and it didn't really bother me because growing up in New York City, we had a lot of mice. And my father and particularly my mother, like completely anthropomorphized the mice and like, thought that it was like this little Beatrix Potter wonderland in our kitchen. And um, the water bugs did not get the same treatment. They were a little scary. For those of you who do not grow up in New York City, there are water bugs the size of small dogs in our apartments. Anyway, by my teenage years, my mother was leaving like cheese out for the mice on, on beautiful ceramic plates, with, like thoughtfully matching Kaspari napkins. It got a little ridiculous. So anyway, back to the beach house. The mice did not phase me until the arrival of this odor of death. So I was convinced that one of our winter visitors had definitely died in the walls, and it didn't hit me overnight. It was like slow. It was a slow build, and I, I managed to ignore it for a while. And my husband, like, clearly was also ignoring it, I came to find out later. And I kind of thought that, like, I could outlast the smell until it sort of turned, the mouse turned to, like, an odorless dust of a 
a life well-lived gorging on my, like, quinoa and conchava. But anyway, at the time, that seemed easier than, than opening up the wall to discover what was going on in there. And so, Peter, my husband and I are often so busy that we don't, like, take the time to connect about stuff like this. So, you know, our, our conversations go something like this. Like, hey, you know, have you noticed the odor of death emanating from our cupboard? And then Peter would say, like, yes, and laugh really hard. He has the most amazing laugh. And he's like, what do you think it is? He's like, I think we have to deal with it. And then, like, the doorbell would ring, and our neighbor would come by, like, bringing soup or something because we have great neighbors. And then we're like a couple of golden retrievers. We're, like, distracted by the food. We drop the conversation. And it's, like, six months before we pick up the order of death conversation again. I'm exaggerating, but, like, we tend to get distracted and not deal with things that quote unquote, normal people, as we refer to them, would be like, we have to deal with that now. So I had repeatedly like triple checked the cupboards to make sure for anything, let make sure it wasn't like something that I left up there. But when I like searched, all I found was stuff that you put in the top shelf of your cupboard. I would see the gingerbread kit and be like, oh, that's a shame. Maybe we'll build like a gingerbread summer house, you know, we'll get to it. But finally, one day the smell like got bad enough that I had to do something. I had to take some action. So I got on a kitchen chair and I started emptying the cupboard. The top, And it was like top shelf stuff. Not to be like confused with like actual top shelf stuff. It wasn't like good stuff. It was like stuff you don't need so you throw on the top shelf. You know, like, like a sprout maker, like weird shaped bowls, like candy I've confiscated like over the years from my children, and then eventually the gingerbread kit. And as I pull the gingerbread kit down, like the odor of death like covers me. And so instantly I do the math. If you'll remember at Christmas time, my grandmother would send us a wreath a gingerbread house kit, and a wheel of brie. And this was definitely not a wreath. So I had tossed a wheel of brie cheese into our kitchen cabinet and left it there to do its thing for about six months. So at first, you know, being a positive, optimistic person, I am thrilled that I don't have to, like, cut open my kitchen wall to retrieve this mouse. But then, you know, there's a lot of laughter about the fact that, like, I threw the cheese up in the cabinet. So what does this have to do with self-love? What does this have to do with body positivity? Let's bring it all home. So for years, I ran my life with a driving force of self-will and willpower. And it's a forced state. It's not thoughtful. It's not nurturing. It doesn't help you have your feet grounded in being solution-oriented. And like that wheel of brie, your willpower has an expiration date. Trying to run your life on will is like trying to store your brie in a cardboard box in an unrefrigerated cupboard. It's not going to end well. So there's a reason that I personally could never stick with a job, keep up with a workout routine, stay in a marriage, put down the drink, follow through on my business ideas, some of which were great. None of what I was doing was actually in sync and in alignment with me and a deep understanding of who I am at my core. Being will-driven allowed me to force myself into those like 
results not typical end results I thought I could get to, but I lived without consistency, without intention. So without self-reflection and self-love, my relationship to me was ignored. So where did I go to? I went to my inner fears, my inner fears of not being enough, not being thin enough, not being smart enough, not being accomplished enough, not being loving enough, not being a good enough mother, not being ready enough, on and on and on. I had yet to uncover the understanding that if I stopped willing myself to be something and instead paused to, to examine who I was and find some alignment with that person, then I could make traction. Then I could start building the life of my wildest dreams. If you are craving to go deeper on your self-love and body love journey, please join me inside my private Facebook group, The Self-Love Shack. We meet once a week to continue our discussions and go deeper. You can also check out my self-love courses and coaching options at selflovepeddler.com. Follow the link in the show description for more details. I leave you with this. The only way to end women's cycle of body shaming, judgment, and self-loathing is through a common pact and plan to change the way we collectively think about our bodies and the bodies of those around us. Sending you peace.